For the last several weeks, we have been studying sun-ripened fruit. And our key scripture is from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. As we've defined these fruit, we've said that these fruit are simply products of a relationship with Jesus. They are divinely produced character traits, not natural. They're not things that you can stir up and be really, really disciplined and somehow produce, but instead they are developed and grown as we give room for the Holy Spirit to have control in our life. So let's review the scripture once again, and you can say it with me. I think that's good. By the time we get done, you may have it memorized, all right? So say it with me, please. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. And so today, we happen to be on fruit number four and fruit number five. We've already covered love, joy, and peace. And so today, we're going to talk about, aren't you, you're excited already about this one, I can tell, patience, (laughs) patience, and gentleness. Interesting two scriptures that I put on the screen for you are scriptures that, and I chose to kind of... Uh, put these together in the same message because there's a number of scriptures that join these two fruit, these attributes, together. So look at the two scriptures. First of all, from Ephesians 4, verse 1 and 2. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. We're all challenged to live lives that are worthy of the Lord. Amen? And listen to what he says to do. If we're going to do that, what do we need to do? Be completely humble and gentle. There's one of the words. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. A companion verse to that is found in the book of Colossians. As we find, there's how many of you have discovered the parallels between the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the church at Colossae? A lot of parallels there. So to the church at Colossians, he writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, look at the last two, gentleness and patience. So we're going to look at these two qualities today. Just keep in mind, please, that in all the fruit of the Holy Spirit, how if we really want to get the best idea of the fruit, who do we look at as our example? Jesus. He had full, 100% development of all the fruit of the Spirit. And as we develop, as we let more of the Holy Spirit have control in our lives, we will experience and we will exhibit more of the fruit of the Spirit. So the first one is patience. Now I put on the screen three different words because sometimes people get a little confused with this one because they don't know what word we're talking about, depending upon your chosen translation, the version, the Bible that you have. So I've placed three different, the most prominent words that are used to translate what the Greek word is here, which I'll tell you about in just a moment, do a little quick word study. The words in the King James and the English Standard Version is long-suffering. I like to say it this way, long-suffering. Suffering long, okay? That's a good word. In the NIV is the word forbearance. And in the New American Standard and other translations chose to use the word patience. Not a bad word. All these are okay as long as you understand the fullness of the meaning. But I want to talk to you just a moment about this puzzle, I call it, the puzzle of patience. 
I read an article recently where uh, it was basically the introduction to the article was this. Everything I needed to know about life, I learned from a jigsaw puzzle. Listen to this. Number one, rule number one, establish the border first. Boundaries give a sense of security and order. When things aren't going so well, number two, take a break. Everything will look different when you return. Rule number three, working together with friends and family makes any task quicker and fun. Number four, the creator of the puzzle gave you a picture to serve as a guidebook. Number five, don't force a fit. If something is meant to be, it will come together naturally. How many of you need to apply that to your life this week, huh? Don't force a fit. Number six, perseverance and patience pays off. Every puzzle goes together bit by bit, piece by piece, but patience is the key. And number seven, anything worth doing takes time and effort. A great puzzle cannot be rushed. My mother-in-law loved jigsaw puzzles. Frequently, we would give her for Christmas birthday gifts, we'd find the largest, most complex, multi-piece jigsaw puzzle we could find. Because at that stage of her life, uh, she didn't have a job, she didn't need to work, she was retired, she was just enjoying life. And so frequently at her house, she would have on a large table, always there would be a jigsaw puzzle laid out with pieces scrambled all over the table. Somewhere it was in the process of being all put together. And I, I never thought about it too much, to be candid with you. I, I've done a very small share of jigsaw puzzles in my life, just never been a puzzle guy. But uh, nonetheless, I have great admiration for people who have the patience to put together a puzzle. My attitude is, if I can't do it in 30 minutes, I'm, let's move on to the next project. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, what's the deal with this? So anyway, I, I really respect people. And I thought to myself as I was preparing for today, I thought, you know, the idea of putting together a jigsaw puzzle, a complicated one, a big one, really does model this, this needed fruit called long-suffering, forbearance, patience. So let's see if we can help a little bit today to solve the puzzle of patience. What does it mean, first of all? I love William Barclay. Um, he has written a series many, many, many moons ago, a wonderful little devotional series of commentaries. And in his description, and he does a wonderful job of explaining cultural context of words. And when he was describing this particular word, forbearance, long-suffering, patience, he said this is a supremely great word in its original language. So let's see if we can appreciate the supreme greatness of this word. It comes from a Greek word that simply means, and I'm not trying to teach you Greek, but I, there's some, I know just enough to get myself in trouble usually. But anyway, it is helpful sometimes to, if, if it's obvious what the meaning of word is. This one is a compound word. The Greek word is macrothemia. Macrothemia. The word macro means long. Long and large. You get the idea of macro that we use today, right? The word thumia speaks of some uh, a hot temper or anger. The ability to have temperance or anger. And the idea of long temper, macro thumia, is the idea of forbearance. 
or long-suffering. This is the ability to be patient, listen carefully, to, with people. There are other words in the New Testament, which we won't look at today, that have to do with patience with events. Like waiting on a light to turn green. Okay? That's not the kind of patience we're talking about. We're, here, God is not speaking about the level of patience you need uh, when you're um, standing in line at a grocery store or a post office or frustrated that it takes longer than normal to get your food ordered at a local restaurant. That's not generally the kind of patience God's speaking about here. This is reserved, this word is speaking of the patience that you need when some jerk pulls out in front of you when you're driving down the road. Because usually there's a person behind the wheel of that car. I don't know about you, but I never get mad at the car. I'm always losing patience with the person who's driving the car. And I frequently talk about that person, and that's one of my uh, weaknesses that my wife would quickly confess to and admit my fault in that area. I just can't believe that some people would do what they do on the road. Can anybody say amen? I mean, come on. And where do these people learn to drive? Anyway. That is, because it has to do with people, that is macrothemia. That is forbearance. This quality of life has to do with me putting up with people, dealing with people. This word is all about people issues. Have you discovered that it's hard to live without learning how to deal with people? Right? Hard to live that way. It's an interesting word, by the way, in the, uh, in the classical language of Greek, it was used to actually speak of the Romans as they conquered uh, city after city, village after vi village, land after land. It was used to speak of the Roman secret to mastering the world. The Roman secret to mastering the world was patient, long-suffering, just taking it step by step by step, and actually is referred to in the classical Greek as conquering patience. I thought, wow, I need some of that conquering patience in my life. I need uh, a new little boost of conquering patience. Yes, this is a word that speaks of the ability to be patient with others. Frequently in the Bible, it speaks of God's attitude towards us. Aren't you glad that God is patient long-suffering towards you and me. Amen? In the Old Testament specifically, it refers to God's gracious restraint of His wrath and judgment. And it is motivated by His covenant faithfulness. It speaks consistently throughout the Bible of God's attitude towards humanity as a whole. For example, 1 Timothy 1.16 says this, But for that very reason I was shown mercy, Paul said, so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. That's the word. In other words, I was the worst of sinners, but God was so patient with me. How many of you could say, I know what Paul is saying. God has been so patient with me before Christ and even after you came to Christ. God is a patient, long-suffering God. He's also a just God, but we notice his patience and his forbearance. This is a word that, for example, I'm just going to look at a couple of New Testament scriptures that I think will help us to pick up some important lessons. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 says this, And we urge you, brothers, sisters, warn those who are idle 
and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Listen, be patient with everyone. Talks to us about how we handle different people and is actually fairly strong in his comments. He said, listen, when people are living idle lives, how many of you know the New Testament has some strong things to say about people who don't work? Go read it. Has some very strong things to say about people who are overly idle. It's not talking about relaxing and having balance. It's speaking about people who are lazy. Strong things to be said. And yet, he goes on to say, and, but when there are people that are disheartened, we ought to encourage them. But he said, for everybody, everybody should be served the same patience. We're really not given a break. We're, he, there's no one included here that says, now this particular kind of person, you don't have to be patient with these people because, you know, they're really out of it or they're really crazy. You don't have to be patient with them. No, we're told to be patient with everyone. In 2 Corinthians 6, 6, the scripture tells us, rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves to you in every way in our great endurance and troubles, Paul speaking about all the stuff that they've been through, hardships, distresses, and then he shifts later in the verse and says this, impurity, understanding, impatience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. Wow, I wish I could do what Paul just did. He said, I'm commending myself to you, church, because this is, this is what speaks of our life. And he lists all the difficulties, hardships. And he says, and we've exhibited to you kindness and all these things. And he includes their patience. Wow. That's quite a standard to live up to, isn't it? To be able to say, I commend myself to you because I've exhibited patience to you. You know, I don't know about you, but I found being patient with certain people isn't easy. It's not easy. There are all kinds of people in life. Everyone deserves patience. But wow, this is a fruit of the Spirit that many of us will acknowledge that takes a lot of decision-making repeatedly to let the Spirit have control over this. Because I've got to be honest with you, some people are not easy to be patient with. Y'all have been awfully quiet today. <laughs> we must develop this long-suffering quality what kind of people are difficult for you to be patient with? By the way, some of these people that are difficult to deal with are in the church. Some of them are your neighbors. Some of them are in your community. Some of them are at your workplace. Do you know what I'm talking about? And yet we're told to all these people, we need to be long-suffering with them. I find sometimes people who are wounded. I understand the reason that they're acting the way they are. Sometimes they're wounded. And because of deep woundings and trauma in their lives, they behave a certain way. Sometimes it's selfish people. People who are narcissistic really get under my skin. I'm confessing sin today, all right? I mean, I really... That's tough for me. Some people have had very dysfunctional lives, past families, marriages, all different kinds of dysfunction. So there may be genuine good reasons why they are high maintenance, but learning to deal with high maintenance relationships is a key. Difficult people. We, many years ago, uh, developed a phrase 
uh, called EGRs. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret. So if you ever hear a reference to an EGR, you'll know what we're talking about. An EGR is short for a person in whom extra grace is required. Now, I have, to, I have to admit to you, many times I'm an EGR. I, I, all right, so I need extra grace. But how, how many of you know God has a way of always putting in your life, putting you, exposing you in one way or the other to people who are EGRs? Now, they may not be an EGR to you or to you, but they may be an EGR to me. Do you all know what I'm saying? Personalities and chemistry and those things. Some things rub one person wrong and it doesn't rub someone else wrong. You all you know what I'm talking about? But, but they, they just seem to... It, it's, not, it, it's simply saying, I have no excuse, but in this case, James... i pick on you because you're not an EGR, my brother, but James requires extra grace from me. I just have to... Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for James. Oh, Jesus. I have to have extra grace for James today. There he, oh, he's doing it again. Extra grace required. So that doesn't put the burden on James, you see. That puts the responsibility and the onus on me for having to have extra grace. In this case, basically the grace is patience. You know what I found? Whatever I have been, churches that I've been involved with, God has never allowed me to lead an organization without placing strategically, strategically placing EGRs in my life. Now, none of them happen to be here this morning, but anyway. <laughs> Do you know why I think that is? It just keeps me focused on the fact I need more patience. It keeps me focused on the fact that I'm still growing. And, and I've got some work to do in the area of developing this particular fruit of the Spirit. Any of you ever noticed? So next time, don't scratch your head and say, How are all these weird people? What's, all the, what's the deal? God is just trying to develop the fruit of patience in your life. Proverbs 14.29 says to us, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Y'all ever notice that? When you let your temper get out of control, strife is the result. But a patient man will calm a quarrel. Wow. Long-suffering doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come from the carnal nature. It doesn't come from you reading three extra books. It's not available to you through a course of study. It is only available for you as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a quality of God, a God-like quality. And the only way you can exhibit it, true long-suffering patience and forbearance, is to let Jesus have more control of your life. Can I give you some practical pointers before we go on to the next one? Practical pointers. I'm going to give you four. Number one, remember... When you're feeling impatient, when you're feeling like uh, people are really getting on your nerves, you're really having a troubling time with someone, number one, remember God's patience towards you. That'll help a whole lot. Just to remember how patient long-suffering God has been and continues to be with you. Right? That's a good place to start if you'll just remember that. Number two, remember, particularly this has to do with interrelationships between Christians. Remember that Christians are not perfect. 
but they are forgiven. Somehow we expect that Christians are all going to have it together. Their character's been perfected, and they're not going to do stupid things, and they're going to have life together and order in their families and order in their marriages, and everything looks right. How many of you know that's not true? That is just simply not true. Christians are simply people who have a relationship with God through Christ and who have been forgiven. And hopefully, they're on a growth track, a journey towards Jesus developing, growing, perfecting them. Hopefully they are. Some people get stuck and they never grow. But so if you just remember, sometimes I find a lot of our problems come from expectations. When we expect more out of someone than what is able to be delivered, the natural result is what? Disappointment. Managing expectations is key. So the way I try to manage my expectations is I just remember, Will's not perfect. <laughs> Say amen, Stacy. <laughs> Will is not perfect. <laughs> You missed you miss the cue there, but it's all right. Will is not perfect. He loves Jesus. He's a believer, but he's just growing. So I need to do what? Be patient with him. Just remember that person isn't perfect yet. Number three, this one's really good. Allow your annoyance. <laughs> you know when you just get irritated, annoyed? Allow that to be a reminder of your need to grow. So when someone gets under your skin, when you get, find yourself getting impatient with someone, just remember it's like a mirror. You immediately look at that and say, Oh, oh my. If we would accept more personal ownership and responsibility for our need to grow, rather than keeping the demands really high on everybody else, We'd be better off. Many years ago, I remember Ed Cole saying this. He said, we judge everybody else by their behavior, but we judge ourselves by our good intentions. <laughs> Isn't that true? When we, when we try to evaluate ourselves, well, I didn't mean to do that. Okay. Allow your annoyance to remind you of your own need. The way Jesus said it is this in Matthew 7. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, we need to first examine our own hearts to see why we're being so irritated. And number four, make a choice to be forbearing, to be patient. All of the fruit of the Spirit require a joint partnership between you and the Holy Spirit. He is a gentleman and he will not force feed you. He will not force develop you. But he needs your cooperation, your will to be choosing, deciding for him to be in control that you're not going to listen to and, and, and follow the dictates and the appetites of your old man, the fleshly man. You're going to choose daily. I have to do it right more regularly than daily. But anyway, choose regularly that you're going to choose patience. Long-suffering. How many of you agree that that might help? Yes. All right, let's go to the second one. First was forbearance. The second one is gentleness or meekness. What is the meaning of this? We find that it is translated differently in different places. We find that in the NIV it's translated 
gentleness. In the King James, it's, it's uh, the original uh, King James Version, authorized version, is translated as meekness. But I, I really don't like the use of the word meekness. I think it conveys something incorrect. But it is an, also an interesting word. In the original language of the Greek, it's the word proutus. And it literally means strength or power that is under discipline. Strength or power under discipline. The best description of this sometimes is actually to think about animals. Because the word is actually used in reference to animals a lot in the use of that Greek word in classical Greek usage. It used to refer to animals that had to be tamed. Animals that were wild, but had to come under control. It also was used to describe things that were mild. The word mild. You see, this is a word that literally was used to describe a horse. A wild horse. Roaming free. Never having been Mastered the amazing amount. I thought to myself, what great timing of this. We're right in the middle of horse raising season, I understand. Uh, That's what I understand. I must confess, I rarely am able to watch that kind of a thing, but I know that we're somehow right in between a couple of races. And uh, have you ever just noticed the beauty of the strength of these animals, the massive strength and power of these thoroughbreds. It's really just phenomenal, isn't it? A good friend of mine was at the uh, Kentucky Derby last year, and uh, he got a chance to go into some of the stalls in the areas where they were prepping the horses for the race, and he said it was just astounding. But the amazing thing is not just the strength and the power of those animals, but the, maybe the more amazing thing is that it can learn to be bridled. It can be brought under the control of a trainer. And it takes time. It takes a lot of skill to learn to bridle, master a horse. And some horses, more challenging than others. It's funny, people that the same way, aren't they? Huh? <laughs> this is the word, the idea of that powerful thoroughbred with all that energy, all that power, all that desire, all that eagerness, just the desire to be wild and free and run, all of a sudden it's now controlled by just the twitch of a bridle. That's the same word used here as gentleness, as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? Aristotle, by the way, used to speak of this particular word, gentleness. He spoke of it as being the mean, right in the middle, between crazy rage on one end, one extreme, and total indifference, spineless indifference, on the other end of the continuum. And he said the mean between it is gentleness. I think that really describes this quite well. This is not an easy word to understand. But we do find what it is not helps. Because many people, when they read this word, and if they're particularly used, regardless whether they look at it as gentleness or meekness, they misunderstand the word. This word does not mean weakness. It's not meekness. I'm sorry, meekness is not weakness. 
It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean being a doormat. God is not suggesting you be wimpy. No. He's not interested in you being a wimp. He's interested in you being courageous, a man and a woman of God, full of his, his love and full of boldness. So how, 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 does that, how does that work with being meek? We think of the word meek as being timid, mild, like that. You know what I'm saying? That's not the word at all. The word here just means under control. Under control. does not mean being a doormat. So don't buy into this philosophy and this idea of meekness or gentleness. In the New Testament, we find that there's three different ways that this word is applied. Three different things. First of all is submission to the will of God. Submission to the will of God. The word in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, you all know the scripture well, and it says what? It says, blessed are the meek, the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. What in the world does that mean? Here's one of the Beatitudes, and it says, Blessed are, of all the things it could pick out, and there's a number of them there, it says, Blessed are the gentle, meek. The same word. They're going to inherit the earth. The idea is, is when you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, you are submissive to God's will for your life. Many people choose to be out of control or self-in control. But he's saying, those that are controlled and surrendered to God will inherit the earth. The second lesson that we see on gentleness in the New Testament is the word teachable. It means being teachable. Being able to easily be taught. This is the opposite from someone that is unteachable. Stubborn. Has their own mind about things. The scripture tells us in James 1.21 as a challenge to the way that we study God's Word. Listen, it says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. God has implanted His Word in us as Christians. But if we want to grow, we want to give God's Word uh, more power, more influence, more authority in our life, we have to be, di- be more gentle-spirited. And the way we do that is we end up being teachable. We acknowledge we don't know everything yet. One of the most challenging things for someone who's a teacher, someone who's an instructor, is to have a student, have someone that you're trying to instruct that is not teachable. And do you know what? Sometimes you can read it on the face. You know when someone is not teachable. And, and, and in a Christian setting, there's only one answer. God's just got to break them. Just gotta, God's got to get them to the point that they're really teachable. I think one of the most valuable qualities of Christians who are maturing and growing and Christian leaders is, are they teachable? In fact, one of the things I always look for, if I'm promoting someone, uh, a leader, or promoting someone in the leadership, is, are they teachable? I don't want gullible people. We're not talking about being gullible. But we're talking about being teachable. Did you know that no matter how much you know, you ought to be teachable. I don't care how many letters are behind your name. Stay teachable. Just stay teachable. There's always something you can learn from somebody. I've heard certain people say, well, you know, I've been, I was here, I was there. I just wasn't learning anything. I'm just not growing anymore, not learning anything. Listen, there's something you can learn from everything. Even people's mistakes. You can learn from if you have a teachable spirit. We all really ought to strive to be more teachable. Amen? Teachable is 
a result of gentleness. And the third one is, it speaks of being considerate to other people. Being considerate to other people. Let me read you the scripture in 2 Corinthians. It says in 2 Corinthians 10.1, By the humility and the gentleness of Christ, that's Paul describing himself, out of gentleness I appeal to you, I, Paul, who I'm timid when I'm face to face with you, but I'm bold toward you when I'm away. He actually said that he was speaking to them out of this sense of total gentleness and meekness. When you are meek, when you are gentle, you have this fruit in control. It affects the way you treat other people. You have the right attitude towards them. Coming weeks, we're going to be talking about kindness towards others. And these fruit, this fruit will cause you to be considerate, thoughtful. It's the antithesis of just thinking about me. It really flies directly in the face of our culture. All of us have certain inner powers. The power of personality. The power of drive. The power of what we think God's called us to do. The power of passion. But we must come to a point of yielding all of that power, strength, talent. Uh, many, All of us have talents and gifts of some kind. But meekness and gentleness is the ability to yield all of that under the bridle of the Holy Spirit. Just, Im- just imagine the difference between free power, that wild stallion just running free, and it may be beautiful, may make for a good movie. But in terms of productivity, once that powerful animal is brought under discipline, they can be far more productive for the owner. I don't know about you, but I want God to have more control of me than he's ever had before. I believe that the more that I let him have control, the more fruitful I can be in serving him. Don't you agree with me? Now, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will help us in both the development of long-suffering patience as well as gentle meekness. Would you stand with me as we pray? I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come and post themselves here at the front for those that have needs today. But I want to be very honest and direct with you today. Listen to me very carefully. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what is going on in your personal life. But I do know this. That the most valuable, important decision you can ever make is to be right with God. And that means allowing Jesus, His Son, to have the rightful place in your life. Turning over control. To Jesus Christ is the most important decision you will ever make in life. Some of us, we've all been there. We want to be in the driver's seat. We want to have control. I want to be the one that's shifting gears. I want to be one with the steering wheel in my hands. Do you know what it really means to follow Jesus? It means turning over the control of our lives to Him. It requires you to get out of the driver's seat. Make a choice to get out of the driver's seat and to let Jesus take over. You get in the back seat. Let Him have the front seat position. You get in the back seat. There's some of you today that need to pray that prayer honestly for the very first time today. There's some of you 
maybe just a refresher, just praying that once again so that we can develop these fruit of the Spirit. Would you join me in prayer right now? Bow your heads and pray with me. Just in your own heart, make that desire known to the Lord. Today, Lord, we acknowledge that we need your control. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to fill us. Lord, those of us today that have been fighting and resisting you and those of us who have taken a position of control and power in our own lives, we repent of that. And we just choose to turn it over to Jesus and to let you take a a greater level of lordship and control in our lives than ever before. Lord, we acknowledge today we need more patience. Oh, Lord, we need more patience. We need more of this gentleness. But we also know it can only come through yielding to you. And so I pray right now that people all over this auditorium would make a decision right now to yield their lives more to Jesus than they ever have before. For those, Lord, that for the very first time, I pray that they will acknowledge that you love them, that you died for them, that you were raised from the dead for them personally. This is a personal decision that they must make. And I pray that this very day they would say yes to Jesus. In Jesus' name.